Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into every single Best Picture winner in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? Before uh, we get into the episode proper, just wanted to uh, bring up a little bit of listener mail. And I, I actually, before I actually read the email, so having listened to other podcasts where they read write-in mail and things like that, I always find it difficult because... The first thing I always do if someone writes in is I, I want to respond to the email that they send, which starts like an email chain or or just a conversation or, or something. And by that point, it kind of like bastardizes the original email to the extent where it's not something that you... Because like I've already responded to it, so if I just read it, I'm just like kind of reiterating everything I've already said in the email I sent back to it. So there's that, and it's, I don't know, I wonder if it's interesting to, like, kind of, because I don't want to just ignore it and wait and only talk about it on here, because that also doesn't feel right. So I, I don't know, I, it's, it's a weird thing I, I hadn't actually considered, and I, it makes me think about how other people um, tried it. You know, some podcasts I listen to definitely feels like they kind of distance themselves just a little bit from their listeners by not being super personal and responding in that way. But others I know do that. So um, it's kind of a, a, balance, a balancing act to, to follow. But anyway, um, so I got an email. This is a few days ago. And, you know, I responded to it. So, uh, But it's from Derek, uh, who is in the Fantasy Movie League, in a Realist Fantasy Movie League as well as uh, DR3K11 on Letterboxd, if you want to find him there. And uh, his email, so he, he he's emailed him before. He asked about um, getting a version of my spreadsheet that he could use for himself, and I was, I, I was able to provide him with that. So that's part of this. Um, he says he started to tweak his top 100 again after not adjusting it for over a year now. I'd be willing to send it in if I wanted. Uh, it should be done within the next couple of days. It'll be different, definitely be different than mine because some of the movies he likes are terrible in some people's eyes. Also, he hasn't seen a lot of classics, the Godfather films, Got Goodfellas, etc. He's still putting movies into the spreadsheet. Had to take a bunch of breaks from it because it takes a while, but he likes it anyways. And totally agree. Uh, biggest issue with the spreadsheet, in my opinion, has always been the amount of time I spend putting stuff into it. Uh, it's it's a lot, a lot of work, and very time consuming. Especially you get into some movies, like when I finally see Infinity War. Just how many people are in that movie is going to take that much longer to put it in. So it's not. It's it's a slow process. It's a slow process. I'm very excited to see Derek's top 100. Uh, and sort of compare it against some of the other ones I've I've been able to collect in the, over the time. So I responded to that uh, with basically what I've already said. And uh, he says he particularly loves the director and actor pages on the spreadsheet. Uh, it's cool to see which ones are at the top and how they change with each film, uh, I add. 
I'm about halfway through the latest episode, uh, which was Wednesday's episode. Um, and uh, he mentions spoilers. So, yeah, I, I mean, Wednesday's episode really talks about a lot of different movies. And the nature of that conversation really does lead to a lot of spoilers, which I apologize for. Uh, some of them, I, I don't know what like the cutoff should be. You know, is five, if five-year-old movies and older, is that a lot long enough time or you know he mentions he mentions psycho which is definitely more than old enough and and popular enough to be able to be spoiled but he also mentions the handmaiden which is only about two years old so that's definitely not in the same ballpark and uh probably should have been a little more cautious in that sense uh but um yeah it's uh a work in progress, I guess. Uh, this coming episode is going to spoil tons of movies. Maybe. No, it's not. It's not going to spoil any. I'm, I'm going to... No spoilers at all in this episode. I promise. And we're talking about a lot of different movies. So, um, hopefully nothing kind of slips out. So, thank you, Derek, for writing in. And uh, if anyone else has the urge to do so, you can email me, circleoffilm at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter at circleoffilm. Uh, but now, let's move into the actual actual episode proper, as it were. I have recently, finally, watched every single best picture that exists, starting from 1928 to now. And what I, but what I'm planning to do, I'm not going to go deep into each one. Uh, you know, most of these are incredibly popular movies that a lot of people have seen. Uh, classics, uh, and so, you know, that's, you know, that's not necessary, but what I do want to do is compare the best picture winner of that year to what I currently have rated as the highest rated film of that year. Uh, so occasionally these will be the same film, uh, but more often than not, uh, I pick, I have a different best film from each year, and, uh, I thought that'd be something interesting to compare contrast, see, uh, just how my opinion and my my reaction to a lot of these films differs. Uh, you know, unlike the Best Picture winners, uh, my list is going to feature a lot of foreign language films, a lot of documentaries, a lot of animated films, a couple of short films in there as well. So uh, it's a lot more varied than Best Picture and, and what the Academy has decided. We're going to go backwards, uh, starting with 2017, uh, just so we start out with the Things that are most fresh in everybody's mind, uh, and that's uh, number, from 2017. Our best picture was *The Shape of Water*, which I love. I think it's a great movie. Uh, I'm not disappointed that it won. It's not what I would have picked, even out of the available options. Um, but it is a fantastic best picture winner, and it does give me hope for years to come. You know, it is a very unlikely best picture winner, especially the further we go down this list. And I think that. Uh, you know, this 2018, 2019, 2020, we're going to see, at least in, in the nominee ca of, for, nominees for that category, I hope a bit more variance, a bit more, particularly in genre, if not otherwise, uh, of those films. So Shave of Water, I gave it an 89, which is very high, uh, but it is not my favorite film of 2017, if you listened to the 2017 Circle of Film Awards, you will know that my personal best film from that year is War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, 
I would say that this is an unpopular opinion. I don't. I think I've recognized and, and noticed one other person, and I don't know this person, but I've seen one other person that has also cited War for Planet of the Apes as their favorite film of 2017, and uh, with good reason, because I think it is a fantastic film, and it does something that other films just don't do, and, and I think when you have... It kind of feels to me as as you know far more than Rise and Dawn is the film that's really trying to transition the current film climate into a completely different realm. And what I mean by that is motion capture, visual effects. I know it didn't win even win visual effects at the Oscars, which I think is a crime. But Blade Runner is is fantastic in its own way. And but I, I think War of the Apes is only scratching the surface of what I believe will be even greater motion capture and CGI performances to come. Uh, you know, I completely believe in the... I believe in Mowgli, Andy Serkis's directorial uh, Jungle Book venture. I think that's going to be spectacular, and I am super excited for his performances in it. Uh, and I think, you know, War of Planet of the Apes is just another piece, another rung in the ladder as we sort of ascend to greater and greater heights with our visual effects and uh, the performances that actors can give through visual effects. So I gave War of Planet of the Apes a 96, which is incredibly high. It is one of my top 300 movies. But as you will see, it is the lowest rated best movie I've seen in a year in the last 10 years. So uh, that indicates... That told me, you know, 2016 or 2017 had some fantastic films in it, but it was a little bit of a down year compared to the last few, in my opinion. So let's move back to 2016, uh, where the Best Picture winner was Moonlight. Moonlight is another great film, uh, one that I saw, uh, one that I, I had to sort of revisit, and it took me a while to really recognize and appreciate what was happening in the film. Uh, the first time I came out of it, I thought it was really good, but not great. And upon reflection and uh, experiencing the film a second time, I really did understand why everyone was so in love with it. It's, it's a beautiful story. It is a beautifully shot story. It has some fantastic performances, which is tough when your movie doesn't really have a main act, main character uh well main character yes but main act, lead actor no you know every it's broken up into segments so no one gets to span the entire film it's it's just pieces and all of those pieces come together so brilliantly and i know a lot of people compare moonlight to boyhood and kind of poking fun at it and saying uh that it basically does what Boyhood does, but it doesn't take 13 years to film it. And there's truth to that, definitely. You know, they're both films that explore a, a man's sort of coming-of-age tale and, and how he's sort of understanding who he is in in the proximity to the rest of his life. But uh, I Moonlight is doing it in a very different way than Boyhood is doing it. And each, each one is perfectly successful in its own right uh but moonlight um i'm very pleased that moonlight won that was easily the most exciting oscars show that has ever aired at least that i've ever seen 
Uh, and I'm very pleased that it beat La La Land, which I think is not as good a film as Moonlight. But neither of them are my favorite film from that year. And if you remember the 2016 Circle of Film Awards, you would know that that film is The Handmaiden. Uh, I, I briefly touched on this um, before, uh, or actually in like the last episode I did, or two episodes ago, I guess. It was the traffic episode. Briefly touched on it, and this isn't really anything to do with that. Um, and I guess so, going forward, I should say, no spoiler. Like, I'm going to do my best to not spoil any of these films, uh, regardless of how popular or old they might be. Uh, but The Handmaiden is an incredibly complex tale, uh, particularly for the characters involved, and it is really well told. You know, it's it's fairly long, uh, but because the film is broken up into pieces, similarly to Moonlight, uh, it doesn't feel as long. You know, you get these segments that are 40, 50 minutes or so, and each one further develops the characters, further develops the narrative and the story in such a way that, you know, this is a movie that's not going to get made in the, in the United States. This is uh, not a film I ever expect to see, like, have an American remake, because it is so, um, you know, sexually intensive, it is uh, very much a product of its environment, you know, and, th and that environment is not the United States. <laughs> it is far away different, and it's it's creepy at times, it's, it's ugly at times, but you have brilliant performances, particularly from uh, uh, Min Hee, Kim Min Hee. Oh man, I'm not gonna remember that name. The Handmaiden. It goes by uh, Agassi on IMDb as its title. Kim Min Hee. Yeah, Kim Min Hee and uh, Kim Tyree are fantastic in the film as as two of the leads. I loved it. Uh, I was just I so bought into this movie and and it's it's fantastic. So I gave Moonlight an 88 in 2016. Uh, I gave the Handmaiden, a 97. So we have stretched our, our range just one point in both directions in 2016. Let's drop down to 2015, though. So the other light film to win Best Picture is Spotlight. And I am not a big fan of Spotlight. Uh, most of its the points it gets from its score in its score are from its technical prowess. Uh, it's it's well made. It is very well acted. But it is no, by no means my favorite film. It was one of my least favorite films that was nominated for Best Picture. And uh, I believe in the 2015 Circle Film Awards, it got absolutely no recognition. And I don't think it deserved any, personally. Uh, you know, I recognize a lot of people don't agree with that. And that's perfectly fine. So that being said, my favorite film uh, of 2015 was easily... Mad Max Fury Road. And uh, not only that, Mad Max Fury Road is one of the very, very few films that has received a 100 from me. It, I think, you know, you how I don't know how you, who, who can really call any film perfect, but uh, most nearly perfect is a way I would describe Mad Max Fury Road. It came out at the perfect time. It just happened to fire on all cylinders and feature performances and spectacle and drama and intrigue and and just all of the things that a film really deserves to have and needs to have to become a classic instantly. 
and I think Mad Max did that. You know, this was way before I stopped watching trailers. I had seen all the Mad Max Fury Road trailers at that point. I was incredibly hyped for this movie. I don't know that I've, you know, I was more, I was as hyped for Mad Max Fury Road as I was for uh, Dark Knight Rises, which is saying a lot. And while Dark Knight Rises didn't quite uh, satisfy me perfectly, you know, I, th I still think it's really good, but it didn't quite meet my expectations. Mad Max Fury Road somehow managed to blow past them. Uh, the the simple aspect of the of the story, which is very cir uh, circular, and the just fat my fascination with these characters in this world that doesn't need to explain anything for you to understand it. It's I I just think it's it's so brilliantly conceived. And if we never get a sequel, I'm totally okay with that. Uh, I don't think it needs one personally. But if yeah, I know that the like. George Miller and whoever, the team behind this, the producers, whatever, they're all in kind of this weird legal battle for, for the rights of the film and, and sequels and whatnot. So if that if that falls through and we don't get a sequel, I'm perfectly fine because Mad Max Fury Road, I, I can't see it not holding up with the fantastic practical effects and everything outside of that. But uh, it is certainly uh, a film that I don't know if, if we do get a sequel. That's that's great too. I guess. I mean, as long as George Miller's behind it, I think it, it'll it'll respect the the material. So I love Mad Max Fury Road. One of my favorite films of all time, and uh, in my opinion, you know, leagues and and heads and shoulders and torsos and legs better than Spotlight. Uh, so one hundred. Now, Kurt just occurs to me that like. This is kind of going to give away every best picture winner I I do for every Circle of Film Awards going backward, and I don't know how to reconcile that because I like do I want to do this episode I want to figure that out, um, but I don't think there's any way to avoid that honestly, uh, especially with some of the years where I don't envision any film having a chance to rate rate higher, so. Uh, I mean, but that being said, like, this is a, a list that I have on Letterboxd, so I guess we're just gonna uh, push forward. And I'm actually gonna skip 2014's My Personal Best Film, uh, because that Circle Film Award episode comes out in, like, a couple weeks. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna leave that one. If you really want to dive into it, you can go look into the uh, my list on Letterboxd, if you so choose. But the Best Picture winner from 2014 was Birdman. Uh, which is currently the which is the best film of the best picture winners so far. I, I gave it a 92. I think it's fabulous, fabulous. Uh, the the long take element of the film and, and tracking shot aspect of it, I was completely taken in by. I think it, it's really well done. Whether you know, regardless of how much is stitched and and how many cuts are hidden, it looks great. It feels very natural and unlike a lot of any other film that really came out that year. And I was very pleased when it won. I know at the time I was really pulling for Boyhood, but in, in years, years have gone by, and that's really not where my head was at. Now, or that's not really where my head is at now. Uh, you know, neither of them are my favorite film. Both have since kind of dropped a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. Uh, Boyhood actually used to be rated much higher than 92 for what that's worth. It is still a top 300 film for me, 
but it is lower down that list. Um, so let's move on to 2013, uh, which is the Best Picture winner, 12 Years a Slave. And this is, I, I think, uh, one of... A, so there are four films that have won Best Picture that I've rated a 98. 12 Years a Slave is one of them. And that is the highest rating any Best Picture has ever gotten from me. Um, 12 Years a Slave is impeccable. I think it is fantastic. It is an incredibly emotional and moving story that is told brilliantly and, and sensitively and penetratively. It, it doesn't hold back, even though, you know, even, you know, there are some things that I'm sure happened, not just in the story of, of um, Solomon, is that his name? Solomon? Not in just his own story, but in just slavery, the history of slavery. There are how many possible awful, terrible things must have happened that have never made it onto a, a film screen before or yet. And, you know, this and 12 Years a Slave has some pretty rough moments in it. Uh, you know, I always cite as one of the most in, impactful moments for me is the hanging scene. Um, because I think that that it just lingers and it is the kind of thing that'll keep you up at night. Uh, so I, I absolutely adore 12 Years a Slave. One of the few years as well where the best rated, my favorite film of the nominees is the one that won, uh, which is 12 Years a Slave. But that is not my, my, that is not the best film I saw that year, in my opinion. Uh, it is actually off by just one point uh, with a 99. Uh, I, my favorite film from that year is Short Term 12, which is such a strange comparison to make between Short Term 12 and 12 Years a Slave, because Short Term 12, much more, you know, they're both stories about individuals and overcoming difficulties and trying to fix their lives and get back to the lives they want and need, and yet 12 Years a Slave does this in a much grander cinematic fashion. It is very big, it is very bombastic in the way it presents its story, which is not a fault by any stretch. Whereas Short Term 12 is very small, it's very intimate, uh, you have a very restricted cast of young people who, uh, since since Short Term 12, have become much bigger stars. You know, Brie Larson is now an Oscar winner, uh, and Lakeith Stanfield is in this movie, and um, um, David Gallagher, uh, no, uh, Peter Gallagher, Peter Gallagher is not the right person, Gallagher, somebody Gallagher, John Gallagher, John Gallagher Jr., uh, he's in Short Term 12, he's great in it too, and it's, it's just a, a very emotional movie that isn't sort of restricted in the way 12 Years a Slave is by honing in on a, on a, a just a single person's journey, which obviously 12 Years a Slave does have time to do other things, but it is mostly ends up focusing on um, Solomon Northup, is that his name, his story, whereas Short Term 12 is given a lot more breadth to kind of stretch its wings, it deals with an entire sort of um, facilities worth of, of people who have struggled in life to fix themselves in a way, uh, and, and who have entered this facility broken and we learn that the people the caretakers there they're not perfect they're not 
clean and fixed uh, at all. They are just as broken as the people that they oversee. And this is a movie that is, I, I man, I watched it. It hit me real hard. And I've since rewatched it. And, you know, I did a lot of research looking into it when I was coming up with the original outline for the 2013 Circle Film Wars. And, like, man, all the feelings just really came rushing back into me. Uh, going through some of that stuff again so it was it's it's i think it's fantastic one of my favorite films of all time and uh i gave it a 99 jumping down to 2012 we have best picture winner argo who which i put in the same category as spotlight Uh, i think it's a little bit better than spotlight but ultimately i i'm not that big of a fan i think it's good but not great i'm not particularly excited by like I have no interest to ever rewatch it. I I think it's uh, fine on on, on average. Uh, the only thing I really remember from Argo, outside of the basic plot, is the moment where uh, who who is it? I guess it's Ben Affleck and John Goodman and um, oh I'm not gonna think of his name. He won for Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, but there's a scene where they like just came up with the plan, and they all kind of have a toast, and and they say Argo, fuck yourself. And I think that that's not at all close to the best parts of the movie. And I think that the reason, that the the fact that that's the only thing that really sticks in my head from that movie indicates to me that it's very forgettable for a lot of reasons. So Argo, seventy-eight. Um, I'm fine with it. Best, my best film uh, from 2012 is a documentary. One of the, uh, hand, uh, I think only three, yeah, three documentaries that win their years, and that is The Imposter. Uh, I gave The Imposter a 98, uh, but this is one of the most fascinating documentaries I've ever seen. It is a lot of talking heads, so if that's not really your thing, then uh, you know you might your mileage may vary, but. The story it's dealing with is absolutely flabbergasting. You know, you you watch it and you you can't believe that the these people are telling the truth. It seems insane. It doesn't seem real. Like it could possibly ever happen. Uh, you know, I watch it. And when I was watching it, I couldn't help but think like I could never. You know, how could I ever be put in that situation and not know the truth? You know, how can I ever be deceived the way some of these people were deceived? And it doesn't seem feasible at all. And somehow the film, you know, as it unfolds and as it plays out, it slowly dawns on you, the viewer, that they might have even, they might have known the whole time. And that's even more terrifying, I think. It's it's just, it's such an incredible story and I think and it's one of the few sort of traditional documentaries in like a traditional format that I think really excels due to not only the fantastic uh, like true story it's based on but the fact that it's like recreated in a sense by interviewing uh, the the perpetrator of the situation and him telling it from his side getting his side of the story is the best part about that documentary in my opinion you know just hearing him sort of laissez-faire talk about you know destroying other people's lives it's it's 
haunting. Yeah, it's haunting. So the imposter, you know, big jump up from Argo, in my opinion, and uh, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. In 2012, uh, Best Picture winner, The Artist, which is one of my least favorite Best Picture winners. Uh, it's only got a 60 from me. I just, I just didn't get it. I, I don't know. I've seen sil- more. I don't know if I'd seen a silent film when I first saw The Artist. I've seen a few since then, and I still don't understand. I don't get the appeal of The Artist. It's like to me, it just feels like a knockoff version of Singing in the Rain that's not a musical. I don't know. It didn't work for me. Um, I, I think it's fine, and uh, I, I don't understand. On the other hand, another film that came out in 2011 and actually won an Oscar itself as well was A Separation, which is uh, the foreign best foreign language film winner from that year, directed by Asghar Farhadi. It is the one of the first... Um, foreign language films I've really watched when I started working on the spreadsheet. Uh, it, it had come out the same year I really started working on it, so I, you know, I was interested. I, I wanted to see it. I, I thought best picture, or uh, best foreign language film, it's got to have something going for it, and boy does it. Farhadi, who has since become one of my favorite directors, knows how to craft a story. He is able to take something very simple, uh, something that seems very straightforward, and find and unravel and pull at every single thread and find every sort of complexity within that uh, situation and and the relationships between these characters. You know, a lot of films that try to do this uh, really feel disingenuous because it feels like everything's kind of falling into place in the worst possible way or the most convenient way to get at more drama and I don't know how far Hadi does it you know I all of his films are very much like this you know they take something very straightforward and they twist it and make it as as wildly uh, caustic as they can and somehow he's able to do that without really destroying the uh, sort of fabric of of reality that his films take place in you know they're all real they're all uh, you know understandable and and things you would have seen in in the real world and stuff and yet it's it's kind of that 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 feeling where it's like of course so and so is related to so and so of course this person worked you know of course these two people are tied together from this obscure thing that we you know it, it all these sort of convenient connections that characters have, and yet at the same time, it just it just feels natural, and you know that's all Farhadi. I think he's he's one, if not the best, the you know one of the best at at pulling that off. And a separation is his masterpiece, as I understand it to be, so far. But that doesn't take away from the other great films he has also made. So a separation and 99 from me up against the artist, which got a 60. Uh, moving on to 2010, we have the King speech. And so the the King speech is a, is a funny is a funny one. I constantly think back on this movie and I'm think and I to myself and I'm saying, eh, it's fine, it's not great. But then, like, I really 
but that's sort of my casual remembrance of the movie. Uh, but when I really do think about it, and I'm like, well, what is this movie really about? What was really happening? You know, you got Jeffrey Rush, you got Helena Bonham Carter, uh, you've got Colin Firth doing all this stuff, and, and you know, it's it's very much uh, uh, first world problems. You know, like a guy's got a stutter and he has to make a speech. Is obviously sim- oversimplifying things, but it's kind of what the movie's about. And like, what? Why? Why does that matter? Why is that important? And why did that win Best Picture? Obviously, I don't think it should have, but that doesn't mean it's not a pretty fantastic film. You know, it's the the whole point is to take something, even as mundane as a stutter, and turn it into something extraordinary. And I think for all the sort of backlash the King's Speech got by beating the social network that year, it is a fairly great movie. Uh, you know, I gave it a 90. That's not top 300 material. It's very close, though. And uh, maybe that number drops a couple of points in the future, uh, if I ever do watch it a second time. But, uh, you know, I'm fairly happy with where it lands right now. I think that it is definitely overrated in terms of winning Best Picture, but I think that the by contrast, the backlash it got from that circumstance uh, has made it appear as a weaker movie than I think it truly is. Um, that being said, my best film from 2010 is The Social Network. Obviously, uh, that was the movie I was pulling for that night, and uh, didn't happen. It's a shame. Fincher's Social Network is brilliant. Eisenberg is brilliant. Army Hammer's brilliant. Sorkin's screenplay is absolutely incredible. And... It's it's just, this is a film that really shouldn't have made sense. <laughs> I don't know how all these, you know, they, they you talk about, like, having just the perfect pieces to make a film. And, and, like, this is a film that the pieces in and of themselves are fantastic. But when you look at the thing that they're all trying to connect to make, it doesn't seem like it'll ever work. And yet it's nearly flawless. Social Network is is a brilliant film from start to finish, completely engaging. Uh, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, easily the best performance he's ever given to date, maybe ever will give. And uh, twin Army Hammers, you know how how does that? I totally like that was the first thing I ever saw Army Army Hammer in. Totally thought he was actually a twin. Uh, didn't realize that they did that. Like that was a like an effect. And you've got Andrew Garfield in this, um, and a couple other, and you know Justin Timberlake, like Justin Timberlake. I don't think I'd ever seen him act before this movie, and I, I was just—it's crazy, you know. You can't separate the character from the Justin Timberlake of it all, but he gives a solid performance. Like he does exactly what he needs to do for the role he's in. He's kind of a dick and you know a douche, and yet he's very influential on the events that take place, so, social network, you know, I'm sure, yeah, I, I, this is one of those circumstances where I think history will bear out that the social network is probably the more remembered film and the better film as time passes, but the King's Speech has its moments and definitely is, is not worthy of all of the disdain that I think everyone has kind of placed on it in the years since, but yeah, so, Social Network, I give that a 99, too. 99. 
I'm doing the math right now, and I'm about 11th of the way through this, and um, it's already been half an hour, so by that <laughs> ratio, this would end up being a five and a half hour uh, long episode. So, gonna have to kick things into high gear a little here. Um, all right, 2009, Best Picture winner, The Hurt Locker. I gave it a 94. It's pretty great. It's it's a really fantastic movie. I do think it deserves the win over Avatar, uh, which, don't get me wrong, I love Avatar, but I think The Hurt Locker is a much better movie. I, not much better. It's a better movie, and uh, I think Catherine Bigelow is fantastic, and her direction in that is really, really good. Uh, but that's not my favorite film of the year, and uh, I believe this was a Best Picture nominee, uh, and that's District 9. I gave Hurt Locker a 94. District 9 gets a 98 from me. My favorite film of the year. Charlotte Copley was brilliant in it. The story, the effects, like, this is a movie that came out of nowhere. I watched it three times that year, I think, showing it to everybody uh, who didn't see it. And I was just so in love. You know, it came out first year I was in college, so it was a huge hit with me. You know, everybody talked about it when it came out. And for me, uh, just far superior. Again, not far, I don't know, I'm exaggerating, it's not far superior, four points is not a huge difference, but definitely uh, my my preferred film of the two. In tw 2008, Best Picture winner was Slumdog Millionaire, which I gave in 96. Unfortunately, for all the brilliant uh, Bollywood-esque things going on in Slumdog Millionaire, the clever way that it incorporated Who Wants to Be a Millionaire... It ran up against The Dark Knight, which is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. One of the few films I have given up 100 to. And, uh, you know, what what are you going to do against that? Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I don't think I'll ever... <laughs> I guess I can't say ever, but I, I feel very unlikely that a film that wins Best Picture is ever going to be the one that gets a 100 from me. Uh, I think the odds of that are very, very slim. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's unlikely. So any year that gets a 100 film, probably not going to be the best picture winner. Dark Knight. What what can you say about it? It's Heath Ledger, Nolan, Batman. It's a lethal combination. 2007's best picture winner was No Country for Old Men. Another great movie. One of the best Coen Brothers films, and uh, definitely a worthy winner uh, for best picture. However, my personal best film uh, is one I've seen fairly recently, actually, in the grand scheme of things, and that's the the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I gave Slumdog Million, or I gave No Country for Old Men an 89, and I gave Assassination of Jesse James a 95. Uh, so this is the lowest-rated best film I've ha I have since uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, and um, yeah. It is Well, I guess it's the lowest one so far, and will be until we get into the early 90s. Uh, yeah, 2007 was not a good year for me. I, I didn't feel see a lot of movies that year that I liked and, and loved. And uh, Jesse James, I watched it, I think, within the last two years or so. And it's really good. It's a slow burn western with some brilliant performances from Brad Pitt and um, Casey Affleck. And I, I thought it was fantastic. No Country Old Man is great and, and probably deserves a rewatch. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it over the, t over the years. And certainly it's a film that uh, I, I think 
rewards multiple viewings in a way. It's a dark movie, though. It is a very dark movie. Uh, 2006, Best Picture winner, The Departed, an 87 from me. Martin Scorsese wins Best Picture, and The Departed is good. I haven't seen Infernal Affairs. I'm really curious to get to that at some point. I haven't seen it yet. The Departed is very twisty and turny in its plot, and as great as and enjoyable as that is, I do think that kind of hampers it a little bit overall. Uh, but my favorite film from 2006 uh, is another foreign language film. This one is Pan's Labyrinth. Del Toro, who won, didn't who actually won Best Picture in 2017. In my opinion, should have won in 2006 for Pan's Labyrinth. I gave Pan's Labyrinth a 98. It's it's magical, absolutely magical. One of the most exciting and fantasy-filled films I've ever seen, and one of the few, one of, like, the first films I saw that wasn't in English in a theater, you know, my grandparents took me to see this when I was, I guess, 15 at the time, and it was amazing. I think my Spanish teacher showed it to us uh, when we were seniors or, or juniors in high school, so, like, a year or two later, and the caveat was that there couldn't be English subtitles because <laughs> it was in Spanish. So, uh, you know, I don't know that I really got the same experience that time that I watched it, but I've seen it many times, and I, I, I adore I adore this movie. Adore it. Uh, so, Pan's Labyrinth 98, Departed 87. 2005's Crash, the oft-maligned Best Picture winner, Crash, which has its supporters, and I definitely don't think it's the turd that a lot of people consider it to be. It is definitely ham-fisted. It is oh, beats you over the head with the, the themes it's trying to pro, um, portray. And I have only ever seen it once, so I, I can't really speak on a second viewing, and that was a while ago. Uh, but I gave it an 82. It's fairly highly rated. I, I think it probably doesn't deserve the 82. I do like it. I think it's a good movie, but great which is kind of like the line of great is like 80. I don't know if it necessarily passes that line. Uh, but a movie that I do know passes that line, and my best film from 2005 is V for Vendetta, a film I try to always watch on November 5th, uh, but I don't always get to it. It's Hugo Weaving in a and Natalie Portman in this really fascinating uh, satire of government, but also... Uh, discovery of self and identity, uh, particularly for Natalie Portman. I, I think it's fantastic. I think it is aged incredibly gracefully and becomes more and more relevant as it, with each year that goes by, especially now. I gave you from Vendetta a 97. It is truly a fantastic movie to me. And I think, you know, you got Stephen Fry and John Hurt, uh, some fantastic British actors who are just chewing the scenery throughout this whole thing and it's glorious it's absolutely glorious 2004's best picture is million dollar baby hillary swank morgan freeman clint eastwood it's it's great it's a great movie it's i gave it an 89 which puts it on par with no country and shape of water but not my favorite film of the year uh that one goes to before sunset which i gave a 99 absolutely my favorite film of the trilogy and uh i Man, I, I 
love that movie. I love all of those movies, to be honest. But Before Sunset really excels uh, in in really sort of showing that there's more to a relationship than meeting someone and falling in love, which is pretty much a lot of movies. And Before Sunset really gets into more of the nitty-gritty, which I think Before Midnight takes just a fraction of of a hair too far uh, to you know, and, and ultimately makes that my least favorite of the three. Although all of them are in my top three hundred, so it's it's hardly a a knock against it. Before Sunset, Million Dollar Baby. I don't know. I'm happy with Million Dollar Baby. I, I think it's great, but I like Before Sunset more. 2003's Best Picture winner is The Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. My favorite of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, which. If I'm rating as a collective, as a whole, would probably be a lot higher, and maybe even the best film of whatever year I assigned it. But I have to rate them individually because they are individual movies. They are not one movie. And uh, individually, I give Return of the King a 92. It is long, it does have a lot of endings, and that is reflected in its score. My favorite film from 2003, uh, a film I mentioned in my traffic episode, uh, 1114, and probably, likely one of the most controversial films to make my best of a best film of the year list, because one, I think a lot of people that I show this film to don't particularly enjoy it very much, or, or at least don't see what I see in it, which is fine, uh, you know, I, I, it's not even a nostalgia watch for me, like, I didn't discover this film in 2003. I probably didn't watch it for the first time until, like, the late aughts. But, I don't know. I just... There's something about it. I just think it works and fits together in such a great way. And so, at with a score of 98, it's my favorite film from 2003. 2002's Best Picture winner is Chicago. And uh, I gave Chicago a 75. You're going to start to see that the, the highly rated Best Picture winners, uh, until at least we get to the 70s, are few and far between going forward. Uh, Chicago is good. I like some of the music from it, but it just, I always compare it against Moulin Rouge, and Moulin Rouge is much, much better in my eyes. Uh, Chicago, 75 is good, not great. Um, Actually, my favorite film for 2002 is my second documentary that wins one of its years, and that's Bowling for Columbine. Uh, Michael Moore is certainly a controversial figure. Uh, whether or not you agree with his methods, his politics, his uh, approach, uh, his his acceptance speeches even, I do think that Bowling for Columbine is easily his best documentary and uh, his most uh, invasive one and astute one. Um, you know, he is a very single-minded filmmaker. He wants to present one side of the issue and hammer that home. And I think in other his other films, that really detracts from the quality of the movie. And in Bowling for Columbine, I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, when you hit on something as sensitive as a school shooting, and, I mean, even now, like, this is still a f- debate 18, 16 years later that seems to have only gone in the opposite direction as far as policy is concerned. Bowling for Columbine is, is a triumph is how I would phrase it. I give it a 99. It is one of my, I think it is my highest rated, no, it is my second highest rated documentary um, 
of out of all of all time. Uh, Bowling for Columbine, better than Chicago. 2001's Best Picture winner is A Beautiful Mind. I give it a 70. Uh, I'm fine with it. I'm not a big Russell Crowe fan. You know, he was in back-to-back Best Picture winners. Uh, as you'll see when we get to 2000, I think his film from 2000 is better. But I'm not a huge Beautiful Mind fan. I think it's okay. My best film from 2001 is Memento, another film from Nolan to make this list. Uh, his only two films, as far I believe. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Memento is, you know, I'll be honest, the first time I watched it, I thought it was good, but not great. Uh, It was the second and third times that really sold it to me. And it's fantastic. Uh, Guy Pierce and uh, Joe Pantaleone, Pantaleano, Pantaleano, Joe Pantaleano and uh, Carrie Ann Moss are, are brilliant. I love them. And the film... It has a conceit, it has a gimmick, but, you know, Nolan's the best at utilizing a gimmick in all the right ways, and Memento is a testament to that, for sure. 2000, as I mentioned, uh, Russell Crowe's best, second best picture winner is Gladiator. I gave Gladiator an 82, so fairly high. Uh, that puts it on par with Crash at the moment, although, again, I think Crash ends up lower whenever we watch it. Uh, Gladiator is a great movie, and uh, I was certainly entertained watching it, but it is not my favorite movie from 2000. That belongs to uh, another foreign language film, Amores Peros, which uh, is directed by... I always get them confused. I'm going to look it up. I don't want to make the mistake. It's uh, Inuritu. I was going to mess it up. (laughs) I was going to say Cuaron. Amores Peros, directed by uh, Alejandro Inuritu, is another sort of multi-story movie that they all kind of cohesive, cohesively connect in the end. It's about dogs. I love dogs. Um, the title translates to uh, love dogs, or technically it's you love dogs, amores, amores, to love. ES is a you. If I remember my Spanish correctly, it should translate to you love dogs. But Regardless, it's all about dogs, and uh, it is a difficult watch, but it is a fantastic film. Uh, It's got a 97 for me, which puts it quite a bit higher than Gladiator. Uh, So far, nothing has matched up Best Picture with Personal Best Film, uh, and won't for a while, but 1999, as we exit the 2000s, is the Kevin Spacey film American Beauty, uh, which I gave an 86 it is pretty good. Uh, I haven't watched it in quite some time. And the whole Kevin Spacey thing, you know, I don't ascribe... You know, I'm not going to go through and, like, lower all the ratings on my Kevin Spacey movies. I don't think that's fair to the movie because he's not the only person in it and involved in making it. And so it's totally unfair to the rest of the people involved. But it also doesn't impact or change the, the movie whatsoever. And I think if... I don't know. If you don't want to watch a Kevin Spacey movie, I totally get that, and I, I respect that. But if you think that, like, his involvement makes the movie worse as as far as quality is concerned, I just don't believe that argument. I don't think that makes any sense. Uh, American Beauty, I gave an 86, so I think it's great. But 86 is really never, almost never going to be enough to win a year because Boys Don't Cry came out in 1999. 
uh, which is Hilary Swank. And Boys Don't Cry ah, is, is a fantastic film. Um, I haven't seen it in so long. And I think it really was something... When I watched it, I wasn't really expecting myself to love it. I, I didn't go in with high expectations whatsoever, and it really shocked me. Uh, you know, it's from 1999. It's directed by a woman, and it stars a, a trans character. Uh, you know, like, this is... the, the 1999, this was a big deal. As far as I'm aware, I wasn't, like, socially conscious of of my surroundings in 99, though. But, like, that's a huge thing, and I think that not only that, but it's a sensitively and and uh, well-craft, well-made um, film. And I, I, I think it's really good. Boys Don't Cry, I gave a 98. Uh, so, 12-point difference there. 1998 is Shakespeare in Love. I gave it an 82. Yes, I do think Saving Private Ryan is a better movie. Saving Private Ryan is in my top 300. Shakespeare in Love is not. But I do think it's really good. I had a ton of fun watching this movie. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations where, kind of like Moonlight, where not my favorite movie. I don't. It wasn't my favorite movie that uh, was even nominated for Best Picture. But uh, I don't feel so upset. You know, I'm not cursing the fact that it won. I think it is a great movie, but not the greatest. But my, my favorite film from 98 is not Saving Private Ryan. It is uh, the first animated film to win uh, its year, uh, and that is Mulan. I give Mulan a 99. I have listened and heard other people relatively recently talk about Mulan and say that it doesn't hold up, say that uh, it comes off a lot more sexist than it tries to be. I don't agree with that. My reading of the film is very pro-female, pro-woman, pro-equality, and I think that the film does a fantastic job of showcasing that. Uh, obviously, it's not perfect, but it's it's an epic-looking movie, you know, it's got some of the best music in a Disney film. And it just, it's hilarious. It, it, it is able to, you know, it, it has three, like, supporting sidekick characters. And they all get their own, they're all different. They all, they all, none of them is, like, uh, Olaf and, and overbearing. Um, it's voiced by Melinda May from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., not it, but Mulan is voiced by. Uh, I don't know. I just I'm a big fan of the movie, and it's it's one of my favorites. I was like the perfect age for Mulan. I was seven or eight when it came out, um, and I, I'm a huge fan. I remember watching it in college with like seven or eight other people on my dorm in my on my dorm floor, and like. Every song, we were all singing along. To, it was so much fun. It's great. There's, like, pictures of it on Facebook. I, I, whatever. It, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I love Mulan. 1997's Best Picture winner was Titanic. Uh, winner of 11 Academy Awards. Tying the record at that point. It's good. It's, it's real good. I watched it for the first time on VHS uh, um, years later. I, it was, like, 2012 when I first watched Titanic. Uh, I gave it an 88. 
it's real good. James Cameron is no slouch as a director. And uh, that being said, I'm very excited for the Avatar sequels. But Titanic, great movie. Not the best movie. Best movie, L.A. Confidential. Gave L.A. Confidential in 98 that year. And uh, it's not one, it's not a movie I remember very well. But it is a movie that I have very fond memories of. In Insofar as, like, the way I remember it is very fondly. And uh, it's just fascinating sort of noir but comedy act I don't know it's a conglomerate of genres that I think work really well it kind of feels like um what is it the nice guys the other guys the Russell Crowe Ryan Gosling movie you know what I'm talking about moving on to 1996 we have best picture winner the English patient which I gave a 74 uh it's slow man it is real slow and it's um, doesn't doesn't do a lot. It doesn't pop. It just kind of is. And um, up against a film that I gave a 100 to, not a good not not a good odds. And that film is the third and final uh, documentary, my favorite documentary of all time, Microcosmos. I believe I watched it on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there. I really urge everyone to check it out. If if you don't like talking heads in your documentary, if you don't like dialogue in your documentaries, if you can appreciate showing and not telling, Microcosmos is perfect for that. I watched it alone at night. I was at my grandparents' house over like some vacation while I was in college. And, you know, this is a kind of movie where just turning it on, I'm totally uninterested from the beginning, like, I, I, even just entering the movie, I wasn't super interested, like, I had my laptop in my lap, I was probably doing something else at first, and yet, without any dialogue, this movie pulled me in, and I could not stop watching, I was incredibly invested in every single thing that was on the screen, and I was just blown away by how intimate this film was, and it's not just the fact that it's like hyper close up of just a backyard. It's so much more than that. It's it's the film the the filmmakers, the directors, they it's a, I believe a, a couple. They have a way of making the film and not just the film but just like the individual scenes be so close to their subjects and not physically close but intimately close that you can't you you can you somehow are able to connect on a completely different level than you've ever connected before with these insects, these creatures, these these tiny bugs and they feel real and they feel personable. And that's 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 a huge accomplishment. I'm a big fan of Microcosmos, one of my films that I've rated 100, my favorite documentary of all time and my best film from 1996. Best Picture winner from 95 is Braveheart. So I gave Braveheart a 63. I know a lot of people that love Braveheart. It is some people's top 10, a top 10 movie for them. I'm not, I'm not that person. I think it's kind of silly and cheesy. Uh, maybe that's kind of its charm, but for me, it didn't work. I could, I don't know, it's long. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I think the act, I don't like Mel Gibson's accent. 
I, I think there's a lot of problems with Braveheart, and it wasn't the rousing, inspiring movie that I think other people consider it to be. So, Braveheart. But even if it were an incredible movie, it really doesn't stand a chance against my favorite film from 95 because I gave that film a 100, and that's Toy Story. The first feature film from Pixar remains its best to me. Uh, Toy Story, what, even if the animation isn't, doesn't quite hold up as well now as it did then, I mean, at the time, it was uh, way ahead, and, you know, although many films have come through that, that studio, like Finding Nemo and The Incredibles and Inside Out and Coco that have obviously blown away the effects that, that are in Toy Story, that's not a question. But the story of Toy Story, the characters, the humanity, the, the, just the premise alone, all of these are incredible things, incredible feats, um, that have honestly never been recaptured. You know, I think Toy Story's sequels are also both incredible, and in their respective years, they're like top two, top three movies for me. But Toy Story is, you know, one of the two landmark animated films of all time that I really compare every animated film against because it's that good. It is that good. You know, you have these incredibly iconic characters to infinity and beyond. There's a snake in my boot. Uh, you know, you're a sad little man. You know, all these things. Ah, oh, so good. So good. Love it. Love it. 1994, Best Picture winner, Forrest Gump. Uh, it's good. I, I'm not high on it. It's, it's good. I gave it a 75. So it's on par with Chicago for what that's worth. But it ran into this sort of animated buzzsaw that is the 90s uh, in The Lion King. So the third film from the 90s that is an animated film that wins the year. Uh, Lion King gave a 97. I was a little too old or a little too young to catch it when it first came out. Maybe I did watch it when I was three or four, but I don't remember that. Uh, I've seen it in the theater uh, when it was re-released in IMAX, when they re-released it in 3D. I will go see it again if it's in the theater. It I saw it on Broadway. It's got some of the most iconic music. I cannot wait for the live-action version. And it's just truly one of the most seminal films for me. When, when you know, At one point, it was my favorite film. Like in the late 90s, it was one of my favorite films. Um, before I had seen Mulan, probably. And I just, you know, it, it just... It, it is so incredibly affecting. Uh, you know, I identify with Simba so much. You know, I, you know, his father passed away. His father died. Mine has died on me. And, and you know, obviously very different circumstances. My father was not king of any pride and whatever. You know, obviously, you know what I'm saying. They're not analogous in that way. But just the circumstances, I just couldn't couldn't tear myself away from this movie it's it's brilliant so 97 for the lion king 1993's best picture winner was schindler's list uh this is what's his name steven spielberg <laughs> ridiculous uh spielberg came out with schindler's list i gave it an 84 uh and this is kind of a an inflated 84 
because I didn't particularly enjoy the movie. I think it's fine, but I didn't exactly fall in love with it. But I do acknowledge how good it is. You really can see that this is a movie that draws on the emotions that Spielberg typically deals in, the nostalgia, but also a lot of like just um, warmth and and connection and 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 those sorts of things. But he does it in Schindler's List in a way that is so different from something like Jurassic Park, from something like E.T. It's it's not a kids' movie, by of course, but he he makes it have that sort of amber glow about it that he does put on his kids' movies. And I think that's really special. I think that's what makes Schindler's List so fascinating. And so 84, I totally believe it deserves that rating. Uh, I'm just not its biggest fan. But the animation uh, domination continues, and that is <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, which is my favorite movie of all time. Um, you know, we it is. <laughs> I gave it a hundred. It has, in my opinion, the best music by an, an animated Disney movie, and I use Disney in quotes because it's like kind of a tertiarily affiliated with Disney. Incredible music. Uh, even now, it is incredibly socially relevant for a lot of different reasons. It's only like 75 minutes long. It's got that Tim Burton-esque feel to it that is why mo anybody who doesn't like it generally doesn't like it. It captures this wonderment, you know? The entire What's This song when Jack Skellington falls into Christmas Town is... It, it's just... It's so magical and so amazing to watch and experience and you know through his eyes and the way that they present that that entire world is so beautiful and you really do feel that amazement that you know he feels like what is this what is this where where are all these things coming from who created this you know i was just having a conversation yesterday uh you know i was watching oklahoma and there's this really bad, like, backdrop screen that they use in part of it that has a tornado in the background. And the tornado is not moving. But my girlfriend pointed out, like, imagine seeing your uh, the first tornado ever. You know, how insane must that have felt? You know, what must that have been like? And that's, like, that's that's true. You know, like, the first time anybody sees anything, a tornado, a tsunami, a hurricane, uh, you know, it had to have been terrifying. And more to the point or, or to connect this more to movies rather you know imagine showing someone from like the 30s war for planet of the apes and can trying to convince them that the thing they're watching isn't a real monkey it, it, you you couldn't you could not possibly do it i don't believe it's possible and that's just in like things have come so far from a movie perspective from any perspective that you know, when you show someone something for the first time that is so far removed from their realm of reality that, you know, they, they can't believe it. And that is exactly what happens to Jack in Christmas Town. Like, having spent his entire life in Halloween Town, you know, what is snow? You know, what is a Christmas tree? What are presents? You're trying to give someone joy? And, like, he gets to experience that, and, and it's such a fascinating 
look into that psyche. So Nightmare for Christmas, I could go on and on about the film. My favorite film of all time gets 100 from me, my favorite film from 1993. Moving on to 1992, Best Picture winner, Unforgiven. I gave Unforgiven an 89, which is quite high, but not high enough. You know, I think Unforgiven is great. It's a really good Western that kind of doesn't follow the rules of a Western. But um, my favorite film from 1992 is Reservoir Dogs. 94 that I gave that film. Uh, Tarantino, this is the only film of his that wins its year. And with good reason. You know, it's so well written. It's a very tightly bound script. It, it doesn't take place, it, you know, it takes place in very uh, limited number of locations, very small number of characters, but they're all very important. They're all beautifully acted. Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, um, um, Oh, I can't think of his name now. Um, oh, well. Uh, you know, it, it's just... It's not my favorite Tarantino movie, but it is my favorite film from 1992. Uh, or it is my favorite Tarantino movie. I thought it was going to be Pulp Fiction, but it's not. It is Reservoir Dogs by one point. Cool. Uh, so yeah, Reservoir Dogs, my favorite film from 1992, and the lowest rated best film so far, which is kind of crazy, because it has a 94. Moving on to 1991, best picture winner, The Silence of the Lambs. This is the second best picture winner that I gave a 98 to, so very, very high. Um, highest, one of the four highest rated best picture winners I've seen. Uh, I don't agree that Anthony Hopkins should have won best actor, because he was in like half an hour of the movie. Should have been a supporting role thing, but that's a different discussion. Uh, and it's the also the first year where Best Picture lines up with my best film, and that's Silence of the Lambs. So, yeah, it, it's one of the few years where it, it actually uh, works out. So I have absolutely no issues with this, <laughs> this film winning Best Picture because it would have been my vote. Moving on to 1990, you have Dances with Wolves, which scored an 86 from me, which is quite good. I notoriously watched this movie on like 1.2 times the speed because it's so long. Um, so like, it wasn't so fast that like the the speaking was gibberish, but it was fast enough that if you if you just walked in, you would notice that something was wrong with the way it was playing. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Gave it an 86. Uh, the Hunt for Red October is my favorite film from 1990, which I gave a 95. You got some great Alec Baldwin, Sean Connery stuff going on there. Uh, kind of at the peak of their powers, as it were. And I think it's it's a... As good as Dances with Wolves is, I don't think it's... I think it doesn't really hold up as well now as uh maybe people thought it might and i think that's more in a um sort of racial angle that it doesn't do so uh 1989's best picture is driving miss daisy i gave that a 77 and my best picture from my best picture from 1989 is currently drugstore cowboy which i gave a 94 
so ties Reservoir Dogs for the lowest rated best picture for me. And uh, Drugstore Cowboy is interesting. It's not a film that I would typically say, you know, I like. I wouldn't say that it's a film I, I would recommend to a lot of other people. But it's it's definitely a film that goes places. It is trying to do something that other films won't. And it's succeeding, in my opinion. I think it succeeds quite, str- quite well at uh, really presenting you with a very unique approach. Uh, depiction of um, problematic human beings, to put it lightly. So, Driving Miss Daisy is good, not great, and uh, racist. So, moving on. Uh, 1988 Best Picture winner, Rain Man, which I gave a 93. So I'm pretty high on Rain Man. I like Rain Man a lot. And uh, Dustin Hoffman is a big reason for that. Tom Cruise is pretty good in it as well. But... It's mostly the Dustin Hoffman show, and he is worth the price of admission for that film. But the remnants of the animation realm of 1990s uh, rears its ugly head again, and my best picture of 1988 is The Land Before Time. I mentioned connecting to The Lion King and Simba. That doesn't even come close to the way how much I could connect to Littlefoot in The Land Before Time. Both of Littlefoot's parents are gone, uh... At least his mom is definitely dead. And uh, we're not sure. Assume, presumably his dad is either not in the picture or dead as well. And having seen every single Land Before Time sequel, never shows up again. I mean, I, you know, that is exactly what I connected to. You know, my parents were both gone. And uh, so I lived with my grandparents the way Littlefoot lives with his. And that just brought me back and to this movie time and time and time and time again. It's dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. Between this and Jurassic Park, Rex from Toy Story, you know, it's just all the dinosaurs. It's all I wanted. And Land Before Time, not only that, you know, unlike all of the sequels that come after it, it's not a musical. It's it's a very well animated by Don Bluth who uh, worked on the, who directed the, he didn't animate it, or maybe he did, I don't know, he directed the film, it's, it looks beautiful, it's got a very timeless animation style, and, ah, man, it's, it's just a beautiful film, it, it's, doesn't, it's not afraid to pull some punches, it's not afraid to get a little scary, a little dangerous, um, and really dive into that PG side of things, but, it is a fantastic, fantastic film. 1987's Best Picture winner is The Last Emperor. Uh, starring Peter O'Toole and non-white people. Um, I gave it an 86. Uh, it is not quite as um, sensitive, maybe, to, to customs as it could have been. Uh, but it does a good job, I think, better than, say, Driving Miss Daisy, better than, say, uh, Dances with Wolves in a lot of aspects. But uh, to the you know to the to the tune of an, a rating of 86, you know, like that's really good. Um, but it came up against uh, perhaps the highest rated like horror film, the tr- like true horror film uh, on my list, and that's Evil Dead 2. First Evil Dead is great. I love the first Evil Dead. But the second one, which is kind of just a remake, but also a sequel, is fantastic. I love the just 
the Bruce Campbell of it all, and just it's over the top, it's gory, it's so much fun, and uh, kind of is able to rail against this, like the the trend of like, there's not a lot of horror movies going to be on this list. Evil Dead Two is not only on it, but it's one of the highest rated films amongst all of these films. So, Evil Dead Two, man, it's really good. Best Picture winner from 1986 is Platoon, with a score of 91. Uh, that's really good. It's um, a fantastic movie. It's, uh, I believe, um, I'm not going to remember his name. He just did that Snowden movie, right? Oliver Stone. And uh, Oliver Stone is is interesting. You know, he he falls into that same realm as like Michael Moore for me which isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing. But what I can say is that uh, I like Platoon a lot. A lot. I will say that. But I don't like it as much as Aliens. And uh, James Cameron took the original Alien movie, made it bigger, more bombastic, and in my opinion, slightly better. Slightly. Very slightly better. It's got a 97 from me. I love Aliens. I love both of the early alien, first two Alien movies. And I think the the sort of, you know, like this... We get this impression, and especially with all these superhero movies that are coming out, that sequels need to have more villains, more thing, this, that, the other thing. Which, to a certain degree, I understand why people are doing that. But, you know, they're taking their... Play, you know, they're taking the plays from the Aliens playbook to some extent. Where Alien, there's one Alien. Aliens, hundreds of Aliens. And in my opinion, it works. But the difference is that, one, most sequels are not directed by James Cameron. Two, it's it's also, you're looking at this film like it, it's a perfect continuation from the first movie you also end up with, uh, it's not like there's different types of aliens. You know, we don't aren't introduced to more different kinds of aliens. It's the same enemy. Now there's just a ton of them, and you're better equipped. So you've upped the stakes, you've upped the risk, you've upped the danger, and uh, it just, it worked for me. It worked for me. 1985's Best Picture winner is Out of Africa. This is the first Best Picture winner going backward that is not rated at 60 or more. I think Out of Africa is very, very mediocre with a 53. And my favorite film from 1985 is E.D.E. Smotry, or translated into English, Come and See, which is a war film. It is in a foreign language, and it is devastating. It is absolutely devastating and I gave it a 92 it is a very tough watch um, I won't say much more than that but if you like painful and difficult to watch war movies and you haven't seen Idi Ismitri Idi E. Smatri which I'm sure I'm pronouncing incorrectly but check it out it, it's really really good uh, and then 1984's Best Picture winner is Amadeus. I'm a big fan of Amadeus. Uh, you know, Salieri is uh, an incredible character. 
Uh, it's one of the few films that got nominated for two best lead actor mo- roles, and uh, it's deserved them. Both performers, uh, F. Murray Abraham, um, F. Murray Abrahamson, Abraham, Murray F. Abraham. I don't know. He's incredible in it. Uh, the guy who plays Amadeus, whose name I, I forget, is also incredible. I think it's just so well crafted, so well constructed, so well made. And for a long time, it was also the best film I'd seen from 1984, until I was watching a movie, and I don't know if I was explicitly watching it for Zach's top 300 list, uh, or if it was just a movie that I'd heard him mention. It had something to do with Zach, but that's Paris, Texas, which I gave a 93. And this is like a very solid movie for like the first half to two-thirds of it, and then that back end, that final act of the movie just pushed it way over the top the you got to watch it to to fully appreciate what's what's being done in this movie it's it's truly something something unique and something special but it does have a slight a little bit of a tough first half of it to get through uh but paris texas 93 amadeus 90 so not a huge difference not a huge difference Best picture of 1983 was Terms of Endearment. Uh, I gave it a 74. And to be honest, I don't remember much of the movie. Uh, it's, I think I can kind of recall the poster. And uh, it's kind of like a romantic drama for most of the most part. It's 74, so I, I wasn't in love with it. My personal best film from 1983 is Scarface. And uh, I gave that a 90, so it does fall outside of my top 300, but, you know, it's a very iconic movie, and I recognize it as such. I think it it deserves that commendation and that that accolade, but there are some, a couple of of sort of minor issues I had with the movie, which kind of like lowered the overall rating um, and makes it the currently lowest rated film. Uh, that is the best of my, my that is my personal best for a year uh, so you know Scarface really good not the best that was my alarm moving on number nine uh, best picture from 1982 is Gandhi uh, starring Ben Kingsley I give that a 73 ah uh, man it's it's real long it's really long pretty much my biggest complaint is how long it is because Kingsley is great in it um but it's not just I don't know it's not long in and of it like it's it's I wouldn't call it boring it's just paced very deliberately uh as opposed to my personal best film from 1982 which is my favorite year uh starring Peter O'Toole among others this was like kind of a shock for me this film it it it's not like a, a particularly recognizable Peter O'Toole movie you know there are a lot of other films people think of before my favorite year with O'Toole and yet this is one where I I just fell in love with it I I think it's it's stunning an incredible movie it's hilarious it's like it's just like com- almost a straight comedy and I just found it to be absolutely adorable and funny so my favorite year i gave it a 97 it's very high on my list 
1981, <clears throat> Best Picture winner, Chariots of Fire, uh, it, which becomes the new lowest-rated Best Picture, uh, edging out Out of Africa by one point, outside of the score, and the da 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 da. It's, just, it's I, I don't I don't understand. I don't get the appeal. I, I don't see why it was nominated for anything outside of score. Uh, not, none of it was was exciting to me. It was very boring, in my opinion. Best film of 1981 is Possession. I give Possession 94. And uh, it's actually one I've seen fairly recently, I believe. And I, I'm really a big, big fan um, it's, you know, it, 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 it upset and, and unseated Raiders of the Lost Ark to take the top spot in 1981, and it's just a very, very well-crafted and, and suspenseful thriller, and I think it earns its sort of place, uh, where it is in that, in that sense. So, I don't know. I, I just I feel like I can't really talk about it without giving parts of it away. But Possession with a 94 is uh, my personal best film from 1981. Moving on to 1980, Best Picture winner, Ordinary People, and this is one that I probably would have expected to fall in the Chariots of Fire out of Africa way, but it's pretty great. You know, it's some Mary uh, Mary Tyler Moore, I think, and Timothy Hutton uh, are just Kiefer Sutherland, Donald Sutherland, and I mean they're all just fantastic. It's a great little family drama, and I I really really enjoy it. And I think it's it's kind of devastating in its own way. It's certainly got less lower stakes, but it's a, such a well made film, and and it comes across with really really elevating those so. <laughs> quote-unquote, low stakes that it has. Uh, but my personal best film is the first short film that makes this list, and that is The History of the World in Three Minutes Flat. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's about three minutes long, as the title would Im indicate. Uh, and it's kind of perfect. It's kind of perfect. I, I really adore this movie. And it's it's hilarious, it's satirical, it's very funny, and it's a very easy watch. And I gave it a 91. So, History of the World in Three Minutes Flat. Best Picture winner 1979 is Kramer vs. Kramer. Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep. And I gave it an 89. So, it comes up just a touch ahead of Ordinary People. It falls into that same realm uh, where, you know, it's not a huge, big production uh, as some of the next couple of movies we we touch on will be but it is definitely a, a poignant and impactful story that that finds a uh, a home in a lot of people you know it, it's uh, it's kind of sucky because as i'm like going through all this list you have all these movies that just kind of revolve around men and you get this divorce movie that also kind of i mean it does focus on the male side of that than anything else, but, you know, just Gandhi, Chariots of Fire, Amadeus, uh, Platoon, Last Emperor, Rain Man, Dances with Wolves, Unforgiven, Schindler's List, Forrest Gump, Braveheart, English Patient, Titanic, 
Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare in Love doesn't count. Um, Gladiator, A Beautiful Mind, Lord of the Rings, uh, Departed, No Country for Old Men, Some Dog, Hurt Locker, King's Speech, Artist, Argo, Twelve Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight. All of these movies are hyper focused on the male aspects of them, so it's it's frustrating. Uh, my personal best film of 1979, though, is Alien. Previously mentioned, I believe that this is the only um, series of films that features twice and actually wins two separate years, which is pretty in- impressive. Uh, so many other series have are, are close and come very, very close to doing this. Toy Story is, is notable as one. Uh, the Before Trilogy is another. But Alien is the only series that fe- that wins two separate years. And uh, again, I generally just oh so slightly prefer Aliens, but Alien is an incredibly well-made movie. It's it's fantastic. It's truly horrific and terrifying. And Ridley Scott did a fantastic job with it. It gets a 96 for me, so it's only one point behind Aliens, and they're both very, very high on my list. 1978's Best Picture winner is The Deer Hunter, which I gave a 79. Um, so pretty good. Didn't quite cross over into great for me. Uh, and to be honest, I saw this a long time ago, and I'm not sure it would be this low on a rewatch. So I, I kind of think it's another to add to the list of movies to see again. But for what it is, I, I still think it's very good and, and very... Uh, tough to watch and the new lowest rated personal best film is from 1978 and that's Superman he gave it an 81 so it's the first film that fall the first year to fall below a 90 and uh, so 1978 pretty weak year all around uh, Superman is good it's it's great one of the better I mean it's the best movie I've seen that features that character in it but I guess that's not technically true if you include the Lego movie. But Superman is a pretty fantastic superhero movie and uh, helped pave the way for what we're currently experiencing. So I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I didn't expect to be a fan. It's it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of doltish a little bit, but I, I really did like it quite a bit. Uh, next up, 1977, Best Picture winner, Annie Hall. And this is the second year where my personal best film matches the best picture. So Annie Hall, 95 out of 100 for me, wins best picture and is my personal best film of the year. Again, you know, citing the Kevin Spacey thing, I feel the same way about Woody Woody Allen. Uh, You know, his latest movies have not been very good. And I personally don't want to contribute financially to what he's doing. If, if any of his other movies actually come out, which they might not. But that can't, I, I can't understate how good Annie Hall is. I think it's, it's a really fantastic rom-com, and uh, it's one of my favorite performances that Woody Allen gives, and Diane Keaton is amazing. It's, it's just a classic. I don't know, it's, it's perfectly, perfectly a classic. 1976's Best Picture winner is Rocky. Uh, I gave that a 95 as well. And 
Uh, it's just just one point shy of being the best, my personal best film from that year, uh, which is Taxi Driver. Two incredibly important, very relevant, very no, um, aware films that people, most people have seen. And most people enjoy both of them. I just, I prefer Taxi Driver just a little bit more. Uh, Rocky is such a, an inspiring film with the montage and just like the Sylvester Stallone down and out narrative. And he, he does, he plays that character so well. But De Niro in Taxi Driver, I, I don't know, man. I don't know how you beat that. It's tough. It's very tough. So Rocky 95, Taxi Driver 96. Whew. Best picture uh, from 1975 is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is my favorite Jack Nicholson performance uh, and just one of the most incredible films. Milos Forman, who sadly passed away very recently, uh, is directed this film. It's one of the few films to win picture, director, lead actor, lead actress, and a screenplay award. And it totally deserved it. I, I think it's it's an absolute marvel and uh, a film I, I really want to check out again because it's it's really something special. That being said, and, and giving it a 97, one of the highest Best Picture ratings, uh, it's not my favorite film. Uh, and so One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is beaten out by a short foreign language animated film, uh, which is The Hedgehog in the Mist, or The Hedgehog in the Fog. I, I've seen it both ways, and I, I have missed on my spreadsheet, but I've seen Fog in a lot of other places as well. And it's 11 minutes long. It's in Russian. Uh, and uh, it's kind of well-regarded, I, I think. Like, that's what I... That's how I was drawn to it. I've seen it a handful of times. Uh, and I think even the first time I watched it, I had to watch it like two or three... Another time or two after that just to fully, like absorb what I'd seen and I came away just absolutely loving this film I think it is so brilliant and so subtle in a lot of ways it really does kind of I don't know it gives you a lot to think about there's a lot more going on behind like the main issue of the film it's very thematic and does a lot of interesting things, and uh, pretty sure it's on YouTube if you wanted to check it out, but I think it's it's truly one of the best animated shorts out there. So for me, it's a 98 Hedgehog in the Mist. Best picture from 1974 is The Godfather, colon, part two, which I give an 83. I think a lot of people cite part two as their favorite Godfather movie. I don't know why. Uh... It's, it's, in my opinion, a pale comparison to the first one. And that's that being said, like, Godfather Part Two is a great movie. But it is not an amazing movie, as my personal best film is, which is The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. This is like a heist movie with one of the absolute best final frames of a movie ever. Final scenes, even. It, it's pretty crazy. Uh, it's beautifully written. It, it's there's just so much to love about the taking of Pelham One Two Three. I have not seen the remake, which I think stars Denzel. Uh, so 
but I, I can't imagine it coming close to being as good as this. It's just, I don't know. This is the, uh, maybe you've heard the quote, like, even great men need to use the bathroom. It's from this movie, Taking of Pelham 123, which I gave a 96. 1973's Best Picture winner is The Sting, uh, which I gave a 98. So that's the third 98 for a Best Picture winner out of five, six out of six. And uh, The Sting is my third year where my personal best film matches up with the Best Picture winner, Sting. Uh, I saw this when I was very young. I've rewatched it since then. It totally holds up. I absolutely loved it. You know, it kind of set the stage for heist movies and, and con movies and uh, just twist movies for me. And you know, I saw it long before a lot of the other films, most of the other films on this list. And I just had such, it, it's just so much fun, in my opinion. I, I think it's one of the most fun movies I can watch, even now. So it wins both sides. And then 1972 is The Godfather, which I also gave a 98. So the fourth film at the 98 level, and it is also my personal best film from that year, at a 98. So, early 70s, uh, well, mid-70s really knocked it out of the park between The Godfather, The Sting, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Rocky, Annie Hall. That is like one of my, five out of six of those years are absolutely incredible, in my opinion. And three of those six years, the three of those five movies are also my personal best, so it's a pretty strong sequence. And uh, like I said, I, I greatly prefer the first to Godfather to the second one. I think Brando just... I don't, I don't, you can't really top it. It's its The Godfather. Number nine, uh, best picture from 1971 is The French Connection, which I gave an 81, which is great, but I don't... Uh, I don't put it up against, um, I don't know, it's it's one of my favorite Friedkin movies. Uh, the best uh, currently being Killer Joe. But that's, I, I don't know, I, 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 a lot of people consider French Connection to be one of the best films ever made. I don't hold it to that esteem. Uh, my favorite film from 1971 is The Devils. Uh... <laughs> The Devils is a very trying film. It is it is a tough watch, and not one that. Uh, this is, this is a movie that really belongs on one of those like you should really watch this alone or don't share this with other people kind of movies because it it goes places, great, disturbing places. The Devils ninety I give it a ninety three. The Devils, whew. 1970, uh, Best Picture winner Patton. My score is a 65, so big kind of a dip there. And uh, it's fine. I, I'm not really excited by Patton. Uh, my personal best film is a new low, as far as score goes, which is Five Easy Pieces. Uh, I gave it a 79. First film rated below an 80 on this list. And uh, I think there's only three. Three years where I don't have a film... That, or no, four years that don't reach an 80. This is the first one of them. And Five Easy Pieces, uh, you know, it's 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 good. It's not great. 
1970, not a good year. Uh, not a good year. 1969 is Best Picture winner Midnight Cowboy, the only X-rated Best Picture winner nominee, maybe. Uh, which I give an 85. I think it's quite spectacular and uh, fantastic performances from John Voight and uh, Dustin Hoffman. But my personal best film from that year is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I gave a 90. And this was kind of the same way that um, The Sting kind of opened me up to con movies. Butch Cassidy was one of the first westerns I ever saw. And it's stuck with me all this time later. It's some it's great sort of camaraderie and you know sexual tension between uh, Newman and Redford <laughs> if you want to call it that which I do uh, it's it's a lot of fun Butch Cassidy Sundance Kid 1968's best picture winner is Oliver exclamation point which I gave a 74 it's a pretty maudlin uh, musical that I wish I liked more. I like musicals a lot, but Oliver is not really one of them. That's one of the best. And in my opinion, it pales next to my personal best film of the year, which is The Odd Couple, which is hilarious. That's it. It's hilarious and incredibly funny and uh, great. And I gave that a 93. 1967's Best Picture is In the Heat of the Night, which I gave an 86. And In the Heat of the Night is a fantastic, great movie that more people should go see if you haven't. And um, it's, it's, it's very notable. It, it, you know, it, it definitely helps, helped to kind of usher in well, I mean, it took it still took a long time, but it really was kind of notable for the fact that it started Black Man, you know, and we'd, you know, in by '67 we had had, uh, you know, movies with black people in them doing well at the Academy Awards. Uh, Hattie McDaniel had already won her Oscar at this point, but I mean, the fact that you can like count on one hand the amount of like times that it happened even after 67 is is kind of appalling but it was a step it was a step and uh we're still climbing that ladder that does that staircase uh my personal best film however from 1967 is bonnie and clyde which i watched a couple years ago maybe two or three years ago and absolutely blew me away i love bonnie and clyde uh, Faye Dunaway and um, Warren Beatty and Willy Wonka is in it and Gene Hackman is in it. it's a fantastic cast with an incredibly involved and, and compelling story going on and it just kind of set the tone for the late 60s and, and that sort of entire thing it was one of those seminal movies that really changed film for for a long period of time and i adored it i thought it was amazing 97 for bonnie and clyde 86 for in the heat of the night moving on to 
Best Picture 1966, A Man for All Seasons, which I gave an 86 as well, like in The Heat of the Night. It's totally a forgettable movie, though. It's it's a great watch, but I honestly can, couldn't tell you a thing about it. I know the poster. The poster is cool. I like the poster a lot. But that has nothing to do with the movie itself, and I don't remember anything about it. My personal best film from 1966, though, is How to Steal a Million. I'm a huge Hepburn fan, Audrey and Catherine. Uh, I don't... That's such a tough, tough decision to make. I think I like Audrey Hepburn more, but I definitely believe, think that Catherine Hepburn is a better actor. How to Steal a Million, one of my favorite Audrey Hepburn movies. Uh, and she'll be on this list couple years from now as well but how to steal million is so funny so adorable you've got peter o'toole in it i just i i just think it's amazing and i love lovely and um a great it's an easy and palatable watch which so i gave it a 96 for 1966 1965's best picture winner is the sound of music uh which i gave a 91 it is a musical that I absolutely love. I am so happy it won, but it's not my best picture. Uh, my best personal best film from 1965 is also a musical, as it turns out, and that's Cat Baloo, which I gave a 99. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's got uh, dual roles in it for, oh, I'm not going to remember his name, but I think that I love that aspect of things. There's a scene... I remember my granddad pointing it out to me when I saw it the first time. But there's a scene where, uh, like, a horse leans against the side of a building that just killed me. I, I love that aspect. I love it. It's so funny. It's so be brilliant. Uh, Cat Blue, 99. Sound of Music, 91. Best Picture from 1964 is My Fair Lady, another musical. This one, I only gave a 75, though. It kind of, it falls in that Oliver Chicago realm for me, where I like some of the music. The movie is, is way too long, though. Way too long. My personal best film from 64 is Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, which I gave a 96. Uh, kind of mentioned this, uh, you know, talking to Kyle. You know, he's a huge Kubrick fan, as am I. This is my favorite Kubrick movie. It is the darkest blackest humor and it deals with such an incredibly pertinent subject i it's great it's absolutely great it's it's so good dr strange love 96 1963 best picture winner tom jones first film uh to win best Pi picture going backwards that i think is actually bad actively bad and i would even go as far to say awful I gave it a 16, which is the second lowest rating for a best picture on my list. It's terrible. It does not hold up at all. It is long and boring and just real bad. My best film from 1963 is Charade, another Audrey Hepburn movie. Uh, this one I give a 97, and it's sort of a romantic thriller comedy hybrid that uh it's just so engrossing so compelling all the performances are great in it and it's a good one i don't know um uh, 1962's best picture winner is lawrence of arabia so after the 
terrible, terrible Tom Jones. We have the absolutely incredible Lawrence of Arabia. Um, the fifth movie that I gave it, fifth best picture winner that I gave a 98 to. And I think it's, Tom Jones is the is an example of a long movie that does not work. It cannot hold your attention. It is boring. Lawrence of Arabia is a very long movie that is worth every frame. It looks incredible. Peter O'Toole is magnificent. And, I, you know, I, I, it's just it's just such a great, fantastic film. And yet it's not my best film from 1962. That honor goes to Harakiri, which is the last uh, film on this list to get a 100 from me. Uh, Harakiri at a 100 foreign language film, Japanese. It is, it's, it's, perf- it's, it's most nearly perfect. I, I think of all the films that have a 100, uh, that I've given a 100, it might be the most well-made one. It's such a compelling story. It's fascinating. Uh, if you haven't watched it, check it out. I, I really encourage you. It's it's such a brilliantly made movie. It's not Kurosawa, but you know he didn't. He's not the only one that made Japanese movies ever. So I, I strongly suggest and recommend Harakiri. I think it's it's unpar un un. It's it's amazing couldn't think of the word. It's amazing. 100 for Harakiri, 98 for Lawrence of Arabia. Best picture from 1961 is West Side Story, which I gave a 91. I love West Side Story. Um, the music in West Side Story is phenomenal. It's one of the few movies that has like extended dance breaks that I'm actually not upset by. Having just watched Oklahoma, really don't care much for the only dancing parts. But West Side Story is so well choreographed. Um, I just it, it's it's a super special movie, and I'm sort of very conflicted on there being a remake coming down the pipe. My personal best film from 1961, however, is Judgment at Nuremberg, and an incredibly long movie, but one that features some of the best acting around. It's it's truly a harrowing journey from start to finish and uh, you will come out the other side very much uh, improved and and respectful of the incredible work that you just watched. I think Judgment Nuremberg deserves its place as like one of the best films of all time. I give it a 97. One of my favorites. Top 300 movie. Top 100 movie for me. Um... So 1961's Judgment at Nuremberg. 1960's Best Picture winner is The Apartment. Shirley MacLaine and I believe Jack Lemmon, uh, which I gave a 90. And it's it's amazing. Uh, it's it's really good. And uh, I particular I I love Shirley MacLaine and I think she's the best part of the movie and I I think she's great. However, best picture or personal best film from 1960 is another animated short film. This one is called High Note. Uh, if you haven't seen, heard of High Note, uh, check it out. It's probably on YouTube, which is likely where I saw it. Um, it's only six minutes long, and it's very meta in a sense, but it deals with a drunken musical note. That's all I'll say. 
high note. I gave it a 91, so it barely edges out the apartment. 1959's Best Picture winner is Ben-Hur, another 11 Oscar winner winning movie uh, with a score of 90. So I, I love Ben-Hur. The Chariot Race. Guys, the Chariot Race. You, you couldn't pull that off now. It's it's un, an unmatched, unmatched scene for me. But my personal best film from 1959 is Anatomy of a Murder. I gave that a 97. It's one of the better legal thrillers, legal dramas going. Um, I would put it alongside Judgment at Nuremberg. I might give the slight edge to Nuremberg, um, but but they're both quite fantastic films. 1958's Best Picture winner is Gigi, uh, which I give a 71. It is another musical. <laughs> And it's fine as a musical. Um, I think it's a good movie. Again, 71. But it's not great. It's worse than Oliver. Worse than uh, My Fair Lady. And uh, it's definitely got some some elements that don't age particularly well. My best personal best film from 1958 is, uh, I believe, still Sight and Sound's number one film as of 2012's list, which is Vertigo. I gave it a 96. Vertigo is deserving. Uh, again, obviously, like I have like 90 movies ahead of it on my personal list, but it's still amazing. And, and James Stewart and uh, is it James Stewart? Now I'm second guessing myself. There, I don't. Vertigo. It is. Mm, yes. Okay, I was right. I had it. I shouldn't up. Trust myself. Uh, Vertigo, 96. 1957's Best Picture winner is The Bridge on the River Kwai. Another alarm. Sorry about that. Uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, I gave a 97. And it's one of the best war movies I've seen. Uh, I not, Nothing comes to mind that I would say for sure is better as a war movie. But... It's it's Bridge on the Rokwai, Alec Guinness, um, Sasu Hayakawa. It's it's just a fascinating like portrayal of humans, men particularly, but humans to to a broader extent. And technically, it ties for my personal best film uh, of 1957 at a 97. But the the tie-breaking edge goes to my technically best personal film from that year, which is 12 Angry Men. Also gets a 97. And uh, 12 Angry Men, Judgment Nuremberg, and Anatomy of a Murder is a great triple feature of like legal proceedings and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really 12 Angry Men dealing with the deliberating jury side of things. Oh man, what a taut and, and tense room. For just all these guys to be in, uh, I, I think it's it's really. I mean, the best the best aspect of it is how well written it is. It has to be, you know, you have to really hone in on the different characteristics of all these guys and keep them distinct enough, but somehow figure out a way to get them all to some sort of conclusion. And Twelve Angry Men does it really, really well, really, really, really well. 1956's Best Picture winner is Around the World in 80 Days, which I gave a 57. Uh, it's better than the remake with Owen Wilson. 
No, not Owen Wilson. Um, Steve Coogan, but it is still pretty average. My personal best film from 56 is the foreign film A Man Escaped. A Man Escaped, uh, I watched for Zach's top 300 list, and it's amazing. It's such a great film, and I... I mean, I mean, you know, it, it's it's a really, really clever prison break kind of movie, and you the 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 clarification of it might feel, you know, it's it's kind of deliberate and and slow in its process, but that just makes that just ramps up the the tension and the the uh, suspense, in my opinion because of how well made the film is. It really really does work. 1955's Best Picture winner is Marty, um, starring Ernest Borgnine, which was kind of, the I think, the first Ernest Borgnine movie I'd seen, and really kind of and initially defined him as kind of a romantic, comedic actor in my eyes, and yet everything else he's in, he's kind of this, like, sleazy sniveling snake character which is kind of fascinating marty i really enjoy it's got a 77 from me it's a very fun movie it's a very tiny small short movie uh but it's not my favorite movie from 55 that belongs to rebel without a cause james dean i've seen his big three movies and man i wish that guy I mean, I'm not saying anything nobody else hasn't said before, but it's just such a, it's such a shame. It's such a shame. Rebel Without a Cause is my favorite James Dean movie. I uh, gave it a 91, and I think Dean is, is incredible in it. 1954's Best Picture winner is On the Waterfront, Marlon Brando. Again, this one gets a 95, and it is also my personal best film. It's some of the best acting uh, in a movie, ever, is in, is in On the Waterfront, and it's also just, it's a really, like, sweaty and grimy movie, and it works that way, it, re- it really does. 1953's Best Picture winner is From Here to Eternity, I wish I gave an 80, uh, I haven't seen this in forever, let me see if I can refresh my memory at all. Um, from Here to Eternity. Yeah, it's a war movie. I saw it uh, a little over two years ago. Uh, My summary for reference is, after transferring to a new station in Hawaii, a former boxing private is punished for not continuing to box. And it's fine. The plot is fine. It's, It's able to build up a lot more emotion than you might think. And um, the fairly straightforward plot actually does have some decent complications and and, uh, wrinkles within it. So I I do think it's pretty solid as a film. But my personal best film is Roman Holiday, Audrey Hepburn again, in maybe my favorite role that she has. Uh, Definitely her best sort of the best chemistry she ever has with a lead uh, in Gregory Peck. Uh, The 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 stone wall mouth scene is is a very popular one that a lot of people have probably seen, even if they haven't seen the film. 
but it, it gets me every time. I love it so much. And uh, they're just so cute in that movie. They're so cute in Roman Holiday. 1952's Best Picture winner is The Greatest Show on Earth. Not The Greatest Showman, The Greatest Show on Earth. Terrible movie. It's long, and it is just terrible. I gave it a 19, so not quite as bad as Tom Jones, but uh, one of the worst. One of the three awful Best Picture winners in my eyes. Uh, a great movie from 1952, and my personal best film uh, from that year, is Singing in the Rain. Seems pretty self-explanatory. 1951's Best Picture winner is An American in Paris. And I don't really like it. It's a it's a very average, middle-of-the-road movie for me. I gave it a 50 even. I I don't know. It's, it's not exciting, and I, I don't find it particularly interesting or, or intriguing. My best film from that year is a very recent one, one I've actually talked about, uh, I think, like, last month's top ten movies from March list, uh, which is Ace in the Hole. Kirk Douglas, I gave Ace in the Hole a 94, and it's, it's, it's a good movie, guys. It is a strong reporter, uh, nefarious kind of movie that goes places and uh, really struggles with um, inner conflict in a great way. 1950s Best Picture winner is All About Eve. One of the first uh, Best Picture winners I sought out when I really started to watch movies. Uh, it's one you hear about a lot. It, you know, it won all the awards. It got nominated for all the awards. I give it an 88, so I think it's pretty great. Not the most incredible thing, but it's very good, very amazing, and um, Betty Davis is, is stunning in it. However, my personal best film from 1950 is Sunset Boulevard which I gave a 98. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sunset Boulevard, and I think it... I don't know, it, it just... It's one of those movies that's about Hollywood, and I think it's such a fantastic depiction of Hollywood. 1949's Best Picture winner is All the King's Men, which I gave a 76. Uh, it's good. Uh, mm, I don't know. This is another one I don't really remember that, that fondly or, or that well. And uh, it's not my personal best film of the year, which goes to The Third Man, uh, Orson Welles. And it's, it's a really fascinating uh, sort of noir. One of, my, one of the few noirs that I actually really enjoy. And you get this brilliant, brilliant introduction into a character, one of the best character introductions a movie's ever had. Uh, I would rank it up there alongside, like, Tessa Thompson in Thor Ragnarok, which I think is great, a great recent introduction into a character. It's it's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. 1948's, uh, or I give Third Man a 92. 1948's Best Picture winner is Hamlet. Lawrence Olivier, which I gave an 82. Um, Olivier and Brana as the two kind of principal Shakespearean filmmakers. I don't know who I'd give the edge to. Probably Olivier. Olivier's just been so... In the movies I've seen him in, he's just unmatched at, at Shakespearean dialogue and quality. Um, but my personal best film from 1948 is Johnny Belinda which 
just watch it. I'm not going to say anything about it. I went into it absolutely 100% blind, and I loved it. It's it's a rough one, but it is a great movie. I gave it a 94. I love it. 1947's Best Picture winner is Gentleman's Agreement. Uh, I gave it a 71. And Gentleman's Agreement is good. Uh, it's not breaking the bank or anything like that. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a little shake on it's a, on a little bit of shaky ground in my opinion as far as the premise goes uh and best picture winner from 19 or not best picture winner my personal best film from 1947 is the second film uh this it's the second year with the best film being rated below an 80 for me it's another animated short and in fact it's one i saw this month um i don't know if it'll be on the top 10 this month uh, but it's called Straight Shooters. It is a Disney short film. It's about six minutes long. It's on YouTube. And it just deals with Donald Duck and his nephews. That's about it. 79 there. Uh, 1946's Best Picture winner is the last Best Picture winner I had to see, which is The Best Years of Our Lives. Uh, deals with three... Um, three war veterans coming home each with you know PTSD or some other handicap or barrier to entry to get back into the real world i gave it an 86 and it's it's a pretty pretty rough movie it's long but you know you got three different stories so it it does keep you in, in interested it keeps you entertained there's some fantastic moments in the movie and great acting but my personal best film from 46 is It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, James Stewart, uh, George, he is top of his game in this movie. I, It's, it's, um, it's amazing. I, I don't know. I, I really love It's a Wonderful Life. It can be a little on-the-nose, cheesy at times, but I, I think it's great. It's great. 1945's Best Picture winner is The Lost Weekend. And I heard somebody call this like a, um, an, like an afternoon, I don't know, uh, what is it, like a, um, I don't know, like an afternoon special kind of movie or like an anti-drinking PSA sort of thing. I think it's so much more than that. Uh, so much so that it's my personal best film from 1945 as well, rated 92. I think it, it really does portray... You know, Ray Milland is amazing in it, and it's just such a horrific depiction of alcoholism. It's it's difficult. 1945's Best Picture winner is Going My Way, which I gave a 69. Not super over the moon about it, but my personal best film from that year is Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity, which is definitely a, a great movie. Uh, it's another sort of, it's a thriller for, uh, I guess, is if, I guess I would say, uh, conspiring to kill somebody. That's, that's thriller territory. And, uh, going my way at a 69, double indemnity 83. So, uh, you know, it's not my favorite year and it's not, double indemnity doesn't make my top 300 or anything, but it is a, it's a pretty great movie all the same. 1943. Best Picture winner, Casablanca. 
is the last Best Picture winner uh, to get a 98 out of me. And there's only two more after this that break 90. Uh, Casablanca is amazing. It is one of the best movies uh, out there. I gave it, a, like I said, I gave it a 98. So it, it's really, really, really good and, and clever and fascinating. But here we have uh, something particularly confusing and interesting about the spreadsheet. So Casablanca won Best Picture for films released in 1943. However, uh, based on the numbers my spreadsheet uses, it is technically a 1942 film. Uh, Otherwise, it would be my personal best film from 1943. As it stands, that, that film is The Oxbow Incident, which only got an 85. So this is the only year, or I think it's the only year, where the best picture winner is rated higher than my personal best film of the year, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, the only year where that's the case. And uh, the Oxbow Incident, I recently watched. It's on Moran's top 300 movie list, and I really loved it. It's it's a very small and and straightforward. If you want to, the plot in and of itself is straightforward, but the dilemma is not as straightforward. It's it's a very tough movie to watch, especially the ending. Um, it's good. It's a really good western, a little contained western. Uh, Casablanca uh, is actually the my personal best film from 1942, opposite Best Picture winner Mrs. Miniver, which I gave a 62. And that is uh, Mrs. Miniver. I don't even know. Mrs. Miniver is a movie I watched two and a half years ago no one and a half years ago i don't remember a lot about it it's a war movie in it's a british war movie and uh it's fine casablanca is amazing moving on 1941 how green was my valley i believe this is tom ford and it's okay uh i've heard some people defend it beating citizen kane i don't get that citizen kane is my favorite 1941 movie which I gave a 90. So Citizen Kane is not even in my top 300, but it is a vastly superior film to How Green Was My Valley. 1940, Best Picture winner, Rebecca, which I gave a 93. Um, it's amazing. It's uh, the only Hitchcock film to win Best Picture. And deservedly, well, maybe not deservedly so. I, I mean, I think Hitchcock has made a lot of great movies that deserve that honor, likely. But... Uh, Rebecca is one of the best ones, and uh, certainly no, no, um, no complaints from me, because, well, I mean, my favorite film is not Rebecca from this year, but I don't have any issues with Rebecca winning. My personal best film from 1940 is The Philadelphia Story. Uh, it's one of my top 10 all-time favorite movies. I give it a 99, and I'm a huge fan of Philadelphia Story. Uh, some of the old sort of rom-com movies with like a love triangle in them are very silly and they are very disrespectful to the female character. But when your lead female romantic interest is played by Katherine Hepburn, it's very difficult to present her in any way but savvy, intelligent, and strong. And uh, she is. And in Philadelphia Story, you've got Cary Grant and James Stewart, just such a huge three of the biggest names and uh, they work so well together. It's it's pretty pretty great. 
1939, Best Picture winner, Gone with the Wind. Personal Best Film, Gone with the Wind. 94, uh, as I mentioned, I think, when I was talking to Kyle, uh, my personal best film from this year used to be The Wizard of Oz, and it is not anymore uh, after rewatching it. I dropped it a few points, which knocked it below Gone with the Wind, which is another film I do need to rewatch because I, I know there's some problematic issues with Gone with the Wind, and maybe I wasn't accounting for them the first time, or I was just too young to really wrap my head around them. But Gone to Wind is still a fantastic achievement and, and a great movie. 38, You Can't Take It With You, which I scored an 88. Uh, this is James Stewart. He pops up here a lot and um, with good reason. It's a rom-com and it, for, for the most part. And, um, you know... It's and these kind of movies, it's kind of all on the writing, and you can't take it with you. is very, very well written. But my personal best film is *The Adventures of Robin Hood* with Errol Flynn, and one of my—I think it's my favorite Robin Hood adaptation. I've seen a handful of them, and uh, Flynn is a fantastic Robin Hood. 1937's Best Picture winner, *The Life of Emile Zola*, is fine. I gave it a 73, so it's it's good enough, but my personal best film is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the original Disney feature-length film. It still holds up today. Great music, uh, beautiful animation. I gave it a 90, and it's, it's one of a kind. It's a classic. 1936's Best Picture winner is The Great Ziegfeld, which ties An American in Paris at an even 50 rating from me. I just... It's so long. It just doesn't do anything. I'm just not particularly excited by it. My personal best film from 1936 is Chaplin's Modern Times. Another recent film I've seen uh, that recently that broke into my top 300. It's a 96 from me. I kind of talked about it already, so I won't say too much other than it's an incredibly hilarious movie. Chaplin, one of the best, one of the best. 1935's Best Picture winner is Mutiny on the Bounty, which I gave a 63. Uh, it's solid. Uh, there's two variations of Mutiny on the Bounty, Mutiny on the Bounty, both of which kind of fall in the same range for me. So they're both fine to okay to good. And this one is exactly that. Uh, my personal best film from 1935 is Bride of Frankenstein, which I gave an 86. And that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty stunning, um, I wouldn't necessarily say scary, but uh, it's, it's a, there's a lot happening, you know, it, the first Frankenstein is also great, Bride of Frankenstein is a very, very noteworthy and worthy uh, sequel. 1934's Best Picture winner is It Happened One Night, which I gave an 87. It is also my personal best film. So, uh, the la no, the, that, that's, this will happen one more time down the list. Uh, it happened one night, which is, uh, Clark Gable, and, uh, I don't, I instinctively wanted to say Claudette Colbert, I don't think that's right, though. It happened one night. Ward Bond, Irving Bacon, Joseph Crehan, Clark Gable. 
Jameson Thomas, Alan Hale. Oh, it is Claudette Colbert. I was right. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> got it. Uh, it's great. It's a great one. It's another. I think it's the first film that won picture, director, writing, and lead actors for everybody. So uh, it's worth it. It really is. It's a great movie. 1933 is Cavalcade, which is, in my opinion, the worst film to ever win Best Picture. I gave it a 10. It is absolutely awful. And uh, it is No King Kong, which is my personal best film from 33, which I gave a 93. My favorite iteration of King Kong is the 33 version. Yes, the effects are kind of silly. Any movie from the 30s and 20s and whatever, like, it's not going to have the best effects. You know, you can't base your entire rating on that. But what they did with them and, and like, the just... In my opinion, the emotion they were able to capture with that movie is worth... You know, it's more emotional and more captivating than most of the recent King Kong movies, so... Oh my god. So many alarms. I apologize. King Kong, 93. 1932's Best Picture winner is Grand Hotel, which I think is okay. I gave it a 53, which puts it uh, one point ahead of Chariots of Fire. My personal best film of 1932 is Flowers and Trees, which is another short animated film. And uh, that is... see how I would characterize it. Uh, it won... Best animated film, best animated short at the Oscars that year. It's only seven minutes long. My summary is a jealous tree starts a forest fire, and it looks amazing. It looks great for 1932, and it holds up real well. Holds up real well. 1931's Best Picture winner is Cimarron, which is another bad film that won Best Picture. Uh, I gave it a 34. Not particularly excited by it. It's It's really... Nothing that deserved any accolades. My personal best film is M, which I gave a 93, one of my top 300 movies. M is another one I haven't seen in ages, uh, not since 2012. But it is a fantastic uh, pursuit movie, police pursuit movie, that really... Uh, I don't know. I, 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 there's nothing I can really say to um, not give stuff. I don't know. Watch it. It's it's good. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. 1930, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, which gets an 85 from me, and is also my personal best film from 1930 with, the, with an 85. The last film to fit on both lists. It's another war movie. It's pretty pretty good for a war movie, particularly from 1930. It really does hold up. Uh, and it's it's got some good camaraderie between the lead between the actors. It's a very ensemble sort of piece, and you know it it, it this along with uh, the first best picture winner, which is Wings, are a very f great example of like what war movies started out as and uh, how they compare to movies now. 1929's best picture winner is The Broadway Melody, which I gave a 30 because it's bad. Uh, my personal best film is a movie called Piccadilly, which is a silent film that I gave a 65. So this, this Flowers and Trees got a 67, Piccadilly gets a 65. 
Uh, these are the only two two years with a Best Picture winner with, since the Oscars started that are rated lower than a 70. So not the best years that I've seen so far. Uh, Piccadilly is good. It's not great. I'm not, you know, super big on it. But it is a very interesting and it's a very fun movie. And uh, it's it's lively. Lively is the best word to describe it. Which brings us to the original, the very first Best Picture winner, which I've already mentioned, Wings, which I gave a 54. It's okay. Uh, the the dog fighting sequences are really what you're paying to see with this one. And they're worth it, but everything around them is not. My personal best film from 1928 is The Passion of Joan of Arc. It's a silent foreign language film. For what that makes sense, uh, it, it's, I think, silent. Uh, I think so. If, if maybe it's not, I think it is. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, brilliant lead performance um, in it from I forget whoever it is that plays Joan of Arc. I give it a ninety-three. One of my top three hundred movies. It's it's a fantastic. It's a marvel of a film uh, from nineteen twenty-eight that really does hold up today, and it's so passionate pun intended, and truly a worthy, what would have been a worthy original Best Picture winner. That being said, whew, we have now made it through every single Best Picture winner year. All 90 films that have won Best Picture winner I have seen, they have an average sum rating of 78.18, uh, which is pretty good, I would say. Um, the sim- the uh, Comparable films on the other side of the line have an average rating of 94.07. So, a lot of years I disagree with, but there are definitely a handful of years that uh, I agree with the decision, which is good. Um, I can go back all the way to like 19 or 1874, which is the earliest film I've seen, Um, but I will perhaps save that for another episode. It has been quite a long episode already. Two and a half hours. Whew. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, so within the next like month or so, I'm going to be taking like two vacations. The first one is very small, so shouldn't definitely will not impact the, the podcast whatsoever. The second is at the end of May. It starts, and I'll be gone for almost two weeks. So there's a good chance I won't have enough time to record enough episodes to cover all those days. Uh, I apologize if that's the case. I'm letting you guys know now, well ahead of time. I am trying to record as many episodes as possible to give myself the backlog deep enough to uh, not miss any days. But um, if every episode is two and a half hours long, we'll see if I can pull that off. So again, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, if you want to get in touch with me, email, Twitter, circleoffilm at gmail.com or at circleoffilm. If you want to check out the website, circleoffilm.com. A lot of stuff over there, a lot of interesting, fascinating things to look at, including all the old episodes. And if you would like to support the show, you can do that on Patreon, patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Thank you once again, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell. I'll be the same tonight. I know.
she'll never leave me, even as she fades. 